Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Grace of a Military Child and Life podcast. Military families are not like your traditional family. They are strong, brave, resilient, and some of the most incredible people I know. My name is Gracie, a U.S. Army brat, and I am your host. I am honored to be able to give military family members like myself a place for them to share their stories and experiences in the military life. Stay tuned for this week's guest. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to a new episode of Grace of a Military Child in Life. Today, I am super excited. I have a Air Force spouse with me. Her name is Carol. So, Carol, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm so happy to be here. Absolutely. So, kind of tell me a little bit of your backstory. You've been separated from the life of a military spouse for quite some time now. So, what has that been like for you? Well, it was very difficult in the beginning because we were so used to being in the military. We were in the military for 28 years, United States Air Force, and we really loved it. And so it was quite a, um adjustment for both my husband and I. Um, yeah. Mainly, I think you always get ready to move on. <laughs> yeah, you have to be prepared to kind of just start start over every time you move. And so when you separate yourself from the military life at that point, it's difficult to to figure that life out. Yes, yes. And so um, I retired as a school teacher and my husband retired as a manager for a company. Uh, so we did okay. We did just fine. Yeah. What was it like being an Air Force spouse, you know, back in the day? Okay, well, my husband and I got married in 1955. I was 16 and my husband was 19. He was already in the Air Force, but we had gone to high school together, so we knew each other pretty well. And um, it wasn't long after we were married that he was had a duty, uh, what do you call it, non-accompanied non tour to France. So he didn't have enough rank uh, that I could go with him. So he was gone, actually, 18 months. Telephone calls were very, very expensive. So we did not talk to each other, uh, but once, I believe it was, in the whole 18 months. Wow. So that was the most difficult thing because we were newlyweds. We really hadn't got to know each other. And... Um, then when he came back, you know, I really didn't know him. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he came back and, uh, you know, I really didn't understand anything about the military. I didn't understand that you would be transferred and I didn't understand uh, the financial situations or anything like that. And uh, here I was, just a young girl, and we got transferred to Texas away from my family. I'd never been away from my family before, yeah. and uh, we were stationed in Fort Worth, Texas, Carswell, and we were stationed there at for the longest time. We were there seven years, so we made a lot of friends. In fact, one of my friends that we had in Fort Worth, Texas, is still my friend. So we've yeah. been friends for 67 years. <laughs> wow. And those are the type of friendships you make within the military community that, you know, you're all going through 
so many of the same struggles that you all just bond and connect over that. Yes. And, you know, he was a just an airman. And then we had two children right away. So it was very difficult financially. Yeah. Um, what I find about what I found in being a military wife was, you know, every time you moved, you had to get a new job. You really didn't have a lot on your resume, and right. a lot of places really didn't want to hire you. Right. <laughs> yeah, and you know the sad part is, well, one that you you went through that so many years ago. But then the fact that there are still so many military spouses experiencing those same struggles today because they, you know, you come to a new duty station in a new area and they look at you and they say, you'll be moving in two to four years. We're not going to hire you. We're looking for more of a long-term position. And that's the sad part of military life that so many spouses um, who are very qualified for these positions and uh, sometimes even more qualified than, you know, the civilian, but they still get overlooked due to the fact exactly. that they're a military spouse. Exactly. And, you know, you may have been starting uh, some of your college degrees and right. they're not transferable and you, you have that difficulty of trying to get your degree. Um, right. So, and then when you go overseas, you don't have that opportunity to continue your studies because we didn't have internet or uh, cell phones or anything like that. So the best job I got when we went to the Philippines was um, I was cashier in the NCO club. And yeah. believe it or not, I made a dollar ten an hour. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. But you know what? There was eight of us women there. We made such a long-lasting friendship, and we just got along so well. And we made it a fun thing instead of just hard work. The hardest was uh, paydays when we had to cash all the service bands checks. They would come to the NCO club, and we cashed their checks as fast as we could. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, payday is a huge thing within the military community. Oh, yeah. We loved payday. By then, yeah. too, I had three children. So um, that was one of our favorite bases when we were stationed at um, Clark Air Force Base in the Philippines. We made a yeah. lot of friends with the locals. Yeah, it's really fun. You know, hearing the stories, I was not fortunate enough to have a, an overseas uh, duty station with my dad. Um, but it's fun listening to all the stories of these family members who got to experience another country and the different ways of culture and the different living arrangements that they have overseas. Right. And it really makes you appreciate the United States. When you're over in a country where there's poverty, there's sickness, there's just, you know, you see it every day. And it's really difficult to um, see how these people suffer. Some of them are okay, but in the Philippine Islands, it was very difficult for those people. And 
Um, we found that cholera was quite prevalent amongst the children. But um, we had a good time in the Philippines. We lived off base, and it was quite cheap. I had a, a maid, a sew girl. Uh, let's see. I had a yard boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was so inexpensive. But then I didn't make much money either. Right. But um, let's see. Uh, there was one place I did want to talk about, though. Yeah. It was our last, my last overseas station. Uh, we went to the Azor Islands. Mm. Wow. And what was that, that like? I loved it. I just loved it. The island was only 11 by 18, but we had such an opportunity to go uh, space available. And we went to London, we went to Germany, we went to France. Um, in fact, our youngest daughter is going to be going back to Paris next month because she loved France so much when we were there. Wow. Of course, military travel is a lot different than right. what you would do as a tourist. We slept in the uh, the uh, airport quite a bit, waiting for the <laughs> next space available. Yep. <laughs> but that was okay. You know, that was good. But I yeah. was offered an opportunity when I was there in the Azores to um, study under one of the greatest artists in Portugal. He was an artist, a sculptor, poet, and he came to the base and offered his services to the wise. Uh, it was called the Art Hut. And yeah. we were. Uh, able to go in there every day, and it was just the most wonderful opportunity I've ever had in my life. So I'm still painting to this day. That is so fun and so special that, you know, just something so simple like that, you know, you've carried on for decades later, and Mm -hmm. they, you know, they're just with you forever. Yes. And I'll be eternally grateful to this gentleman. Um, You can even look him up on um, Google. His name is uh, Manuel Diaz. Of course, he's passed away by now. But he was absolutely wonderful. And while we were there, we sponsored two little girls that were orphans. (laughs) And it just seemed like every little girl's name was Maria. They were both Maria. (laughs) So... um, we were able to pick them up and take them to lunches. We could have them on weekends, holidays. And uh, we took them to play bingo at one time. And the little girls won $100, which was a lot of money to those little girls. And yeah. so the sisters were going to put it up for them until they were grown. They were both 12 years old. So um, their family just couldn't afford to feed them. So that's why they were at the orphanage. And wow. they had never had a hot shower. Never. They had only had cold showers. Oh so when they goodness. came to our house, <laughs> oh, we had two bottles of shampoo and they were both gone, of course. <laughs> the little <laughs> girls just loved having the showers. And uh, it was just wonderful to see that we could uh, add something to their little lives, you know. So, Yeah, and it's bring- so special that you know, military life isn't, you know, sunshine and rainbows, but you make the best of it and then you're able to help out 
other people and, uh, you know, just pass it on. That's right. That's right. But, you know, military families are very, very close. We just yeah. um, bonded. So the hardest thing is when you go to a base and you make these these wonderful friendships and then you get shipped out. And you do keep the friendship, but it's not always the same. And we have lost track of so many people. Yeah. So that's really hard. But, you know, our children, uh, we had three daughters, and they all adjusted so well. And if you talk to them about military life, each one of them loved it. Our yeah. oldest daughter even married um, an Air Force doctor. So, uh, you know, it's in their blood. <laughs> it's Absolutely. just in their blood. Yeah. yeah. You start this this military family and it starts, um, I mean, mine traces back decades and decades. My dad served in the Army. My grandpa on my mom's side was Army. My grandpa on my dad's side was Navy. Uh, and then it just it just keeps going back from there. Um, but once you're in the military community, it's so hard to leave because like you were saying, even though you move, uh, you know, sometimes like over a dozen times, um, and you meet all these amazing, incredible people, and then you lose contact with them. Yeah. But, you know, it's this one big community where if you need something, you can pick up the phone and go, Hey, you know even though we haven't seen each other in six years, like I'm going to be coming to, you know, wherever you're living now and I need a place to stay. Like, can I stay with you? And it's going to be a absolutely. And you see them again and it's like, no time has passed. Nothing's changed. It's still literally just how it was 20 years ago. You know, it's yep, no right. Grace. You're so right. Yeah, well, before we get, get going too long, too, Grace, I just appreciate what you are doing. I think, uh, you know, uh, children of military dads and um, yeah. wives, they kind of get left behind uh, because of the military man is the breadwinner and he mm-hmm. is really the most important. So we get kind of in left in the shadows. So I so appreciate what you're doing. Well, thank encourage, you. Yeah, and just encourage these Yeah, young that means a lot. I, you know, sometimes it's hard and sometimes you just got to find the the effort to just keep going, but you know, hearing things like that that there's actually differences being made and that these stories are being shared no matter how how new they are, how old they are. You know, it makes a difference, you know, getting these stories out and recognizing these individuals who serve beside the service member, um, you know, nonetheless. And, you know, they're they're out here fighting, you know, for the country, more or less stateside, though. Yes. So I just wanted to thank you so, so very, very much for what you're doing. And I, I've talked to my daughters about this. My daughter's just appreciate it also as they felt the same way I did. Yeah. A lot of these stories get unshared and it's, it's Mm -hmm. so hard, you know, not sharing your story, going through so many struggles. 
you know, making a dollar ten an hour because that's the only job you could get. Um, but making the best job? of it. Yep. Yes. And it, it all came out good. But then I always believe that, uh, you know, anything, you can turn it around and good will come from it. Yeah. And, and that's what happened. Even when we went to South Carolina and I went into the bank to, to get a job and they said, well, we don't, like you said, we don't want to hire military-wise because they'll be leaving. And uh, so didn't have a job. I went <laughs> to a factory that was not a good job, but I took it. You know, you take what you can. And yeah. then I, when we had our last duty station, which was Luke Air Force Base in Phoenix, that I was able to go into teaching and um, just loved it. Just loved it. Still yeah. miss those little kiddos. Miss those little kiddos. <laughs> yeah, I was a dance teacher for a few years in you know, even though I only got those girls for half an hour a week, you form such an incredible connection with with those kids that you teach. And, you know, they just they idolize you and look up to you. Um, oh, they do. Yes. Yeah. You're you're a princess. <laughs> yeah. You're a dancer. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And so, you know, even being a teacher as a military spouse is hard. Because, I mean, you have to transfer your license everywhere you go. And when you go to other countries, you can't necessarily just say, hey, I'm a teacher in the United States. I'm going to be a teacher here now. You can't do that. No, you can't. You can't. And then the other things, you know, that are so hard is when they send your husband to a different base unaccompanied. And that's actually why my husband did not stay in 30 years. He was stationed uh, in Korea right after we got back from the Azores, and it was unaccompanied. So after we got to Luke Air Force Base, in order for him to stay in Syria, he would have had to go to Turkey, another unaccompanied. And we looked at each other and said, you know what? Life's too short. We served our time, and we're just not going to take those other two years, even though it probably meant another rank. And his retirement would have been, you know, better. But money isn't everything. Right. Uh, But time is. Time is. Time with your family. That is so true because, especially in the military life, you don't get that time with your family. And, you know, unaccompanied tours are are common, Um, especially, I mean, we just got out of that era of Iraq and Afghanistan and, you know, having that time away from your family means time that you can't get back. That's right. And my, our grandson was stationed in Afghanistan twice, came back with PTS, and um, it has taken a real toll on him, although I do believe that he is so much better, but he still doesn't talk about it. You know, yeah. he just doesn't talk about it. Yeah, and there, well, he's one in a million, you know, one in a million that has come back uh, with with that terrible thing, PTS or PST, P- no, PTS. That's what it is. Yes, yeah. PTS. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, being he's in struggling. San Antonio, Texas, when my dad was in recovery, um, he was injured in Afghanistan in 2011. He stepped on an IED, um, and oh. so. 
it's, you know, seeing these guys come back and the struggle that they go through um, firsthand. And I was nine when this all went down. So I was incredibly young. So seeing the struggle that these guys go through in firsthand, um, it's hard, you know, as a family member to sit by and watch when there's really not much you can do to help. No, you just have to love them and just let them get through it and support them in every way you can. Yeah. I'm so sorry that your dad had to struggle with that. And I hope he's better now. Yeah. You know, from from the injuries, uh, you know, every day is still recovery. Recovery never ends. But, you know, it's it's just a lot of keeping that positive attitude and just moving forward. Mm -hmm. I do a lot of uh, work with the Travis Mills Foundation. Um, Travis is one of, I believe it's four or five. I can't remember which number, um, but one of four or five surviving quadruple amputees of the Afghanistan and Iraq wars. And he started this nonprofit up in Maine and uh, gives back to, to those veterans and their families who were injured and impacted in those severe ways from the effects of war. And so being at the retreat and seeing firsthand what it's like uh, for these guys who are still struggling and these gals who are still struggling and going through these, you know, the motions of just living their day-to-day life, you know, Mm -hmm. feeling, feeling war daily, you know, it's, it's hard to see, but you know, in, it's inspiring in every way. Yes, because they sacrificed everything for our country. And um, they're not always recognized and appreciated, but um, the ones that do recognize and, and do appreciate them, you know, that's that's great. <laughs> it's great. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's all about giving back. Them. Yeah. Uh, one, my oldest daughter, she worked... She works for the uh, government, and she was working for the Veterans Administration, and she just had to get out of that particular position because it was so hard to see how they were so disadvantaged and didn't get everything that they need. And that's true. They don't. And that's why you see so many vets that are homeless and, and struggling. And, you know, yeah, they do have mental problems. But they had the mental problems because they served and they were um, just in in terrible situations that caused them to have mental problems. So Right. Yeah. And it's not like there's necessarily a cure for it. You know, you just kind of have to take it day by day. And that's the hardest part of it, too. Yes. Yes, indeed. Absolutely. Um, the last thing I always like to wrap up episodes with is what piece of advice would you give to another military spouse? I know it's different generations from when you were around to now, it but, is. you know, it's still the same. And even, you know, uh, yeah, you're right. The generations are different. The years are different. The military is different. Mm-hmm. But I'd like to encourage all the spouses to support their husbands. I mean, I, I think it goes both ways. But, you know, um, I had uh, very difficult times when we were uh, stationed in other places and I wasn't at 
with my family. You have to, if your husband's going to be in the military, you have to accept that and support your husband and don't give him a bad time about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, a lot of times more and more we see nowadays, especially a lot of service members are joining, um, you know, later in their relationships when they're married. Um, And so it's a conversation that you sit down and have um, with your spouse saying, you know, here's a thought, like, A lot of it is to help improve family life as well. Um, These men and women join to to give their families a better life. And so it's a conversation held um, between husbands and wives. And now, uh, rather than joining in high school, joining right out of high school, while that is still popular um, and is still still around, um, you know, a lot of this is having conversations or, you know, even those who do join right out of high school um, and find a spouse later on down the road, it's hard to just step into that position of being a spouse and say, hey, I accept it, you know, I just have to go with it. And I never thought, you know, I'd be a a lifer. (laughs) (laughs) I must say, you know, at our age, my husband is 86 and I'm 84. And our health has deteriorated, but we have still have military to take care of us. Our insurance is just nothing compared to people that are struggling today, uh, civilians that are trying to pay for insurances and health. We have so many benefits, and I'm so thankful for the Air Force always being there for us. So, yeah, absolutely. Then and now, you know, they're never. They're never going to leave. They're still always there. And, you know, sometimes while the lifestyle sucks, those unaccompanied tours suck, those moves suck, um, you know, there's so many parts of it where it's just such a struggle and it's so hard to get through, but it's such a great lifestyle and it's so beneficial. And, you know, that military community that you grow, those friendships, those bonds, uh, those relationships are are stronger than literally anything because yeah, you, you're right. You've been yes. through so many hard hardships together that uh, it's just you don't let it go. That's right. But it was a good life, and I'm, I will be internally grateful for um, being a, a spouse of a military man. And I'm married to a very, very proud American that is happy that he served his country. So I'm right along with him. Yes. Well, thank you, Carol, so much for taking some time out of your day to, to chat with me and to be on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to Grease of a Military Child and Life podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give it a like, follow, and comment. Also, be sure to check out Instagram and Facebook at Grease of a Military Child and Life for more awesome content. For information on the podcast, Military Child Bigs and Littles, GoAMCL blog, or other resources, visit www.goamcl.org. You can also email me at gracie.com 
that's G-R-A-C-I-E at G-O-A-M-C-L dot org with any questions or comments. To be a guest on the podcast, you can schedule it at www.goamcl.org forward slash schedule a podcast, all one word, or contact me via social media or email. Stay tuned for the next episode where another incredible story is shared.